0: Hello, and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading, and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for March has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are smashing. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and do let them know that you heard all about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom.
1: And I'm Donna Sorensen.
0: And um, uh, I've got a cold, so I apologise for any coughing and spluttering over the next um, 45 minutes or so.
1: And I've got a big baby in my tummy, so I apologise for any heavy breathing. I am very breathless because of that. Um, And also doing a lot of yawning.
0: Tremendous. So that's the the kind of thing you need to expect on this week's episode.
1: (laughs) Hey, no, but hey, tomorrow is uh, my last day in my day job as a um, content manager for Visit Denmark for the next year.
0: Maternity leave, hooray!
1: Yeah, but it's quite strange this time. Um, I have tried this once before where I got to that day and it was, woohoo! And I am really looking forward to it, but I don't know. I just feel like I've, I've come so far in this job and I don't know how I'm going to be able to stop my brain all of a sudden and just wake up and be like, what shall I do? Cup of tea. I
0: I feel like I'd be quite good at that.
1: (laughs) Yes, well, from experience, I'm quite good at it for a few days and then I'm like, oof, right, what shall I do now?
0: Well, there's another interesting question here somewhere, I think. Um, Someone asked me just this week whether I was um, good at switching off. Um, after, after work Whether I was able to go to work Do my thing Work hard And then get to uh, Clock off time And kind of leave And leave it all behind me And I said that I thought That I was quite good at that The only time where I've not been as good at that Is is I guess last year When I was um, freelance Running my own business I found it more difficult to It was less that I found it difficult To carry um, uh, To leave the work somewhere else it was more a case of I was working all the time yeah which is a different thing
1: absolutely yeah I I know a lot of people that are working in the evenings and things like that and I go home and I tend to switch off but if I wake up in the middle of the night I sometimes have big big trouble not thinking about what I'm going to do the next day already like my my body is ready to wake up and, and get going on the work day um and that's been a problem That's been a problem this week, I think, also, because I'm just trying to squeeze so much in in the last week. So I've been wandering around, wondering in the middle of the night if I should go and write some poetry. (laughs) And instead, I've just tended to just go and eat crackers in the kitchen at three or four o'clock in the morning.
0: Gathering inspiration, of course.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, But yes, it's very exciting. And as I have mentioned before on the podcast, I am... Yes, a little bit optimistically planning to write quite a lot in the next few weeks, but um, but we'll see how that goes. It's brilliant to have time for that. I'm not complaining about it at all. I just know that it's going to take me a little while to um, to break away from the world of work.
0: Yeah, well, it's never easy, and um, and it is. Uh, I guess it helps if you have a, a distraction, and you are going to have pretty significant distractions. So hopefully that will be, <laughs> uh, allow you to detach yourself from uh, from work quite easily.
1: Absolutely. But then also another thing is when you're working in social media, you know, things change so quickly. A whole year. I mean, I'm I kind of am tempted to unfollow my pro- my work profiles just so I don't think about it or see them coming through, but then I think actually probably I do need to keep, you know, keep up to date with what's going on. I mean, that's vital in that in that world.
0: Presumably presumably you're going to um kind of delete your work account from your phone for example you're not going to you're not going to have like the admin uh, information
1: no i'm not gonna i'm not going to be going and, and looking in facebook insights or even on my profile page or anything uh, anything like that and i am certainly not going to have emails but just things like on twitter i think it would be quite shocking every so often to see you know tweets coming through from my maternity cover and, and and kind of looking at them and, and thinking about them I don't want that so I think I'm just going to have to unfollow them all
0: well you can always re-follow them
1: exactly and they won't notice one little one little unlike or unfollow so yeah so that's very exciting World Book Day it is today Ian in the UK and Ireland but nowhere else in the world Why? Well, I wonder why they have their own book day
0: <laughs> I, I don't know it's a good question um I knew it was World Book Day today, partly because I work in education um, and also because I am on the drive to work today. I presumably drove past a nearby um, primary school and I saw a number of parents who were walking down the street with the likes of, um, there was a Batman, tenuous Link. There was also um, a a robot from The Wizard of Oz, uh, a Tin Man, I should say. And uh, a number of other fancy dress uh, costumes, which is, um, this is what they do in the UK. I, uh, I, I was going to say, what do they do in Denmark? But I, I don't think I realised that it was very specifically a UK-based thing, World Book Day.
1: Well, it's not, there is a World Book Day. That's why it's so mad. World Book Day is in April. I'm pretty sure it's a UN initiative and it really is a World Book Day. So, um, you know, t- today should really have been called UK and Ireland Book Day or something.
0: Have you seen um, the, the the furore over a very specific costume
1: no, tell
0: so apparently um, so yes, as I've just described, um, in the UK today basically all schools across um, the entire country um, have have asked kids to go into school dressed as their favourite book characters Um, and that's why everyone is in fancy dress today, all the children, it's fantastic lots of lovely happy faces, having lots of fun However, one of the most popular costumes this don't year... Me, can I guess? Yes.
1: It's not a Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that would have been really something for people to get their knickers in a twist about.
0: Um, what What would that costume be?
1: It would involve leather. I, I don't know, because no, i no, not hang read on. the book.
0: I need to... Let me just remind you again. I'm talking about children here. Like,
1: <laughs> exactly. Ian, don't even worry. I've not read it. Carry on. What well, I'm sure I'm going to be less shocked now anyway. All our listeners are going to be less shocked by this shocking costume.
0: Well, if if it had been a character from Fifty Shades of Grey, at least it would have been a book-based character because there have been many, many, many Princess Elsas or Queen... Sorry, oh dear, oh dear, I hope there's no um, Frozen fans listening. Queen Elsa um, costumes.
1: Oh, uh, Yeah. They just had them in the cupboard, eh? And
0: well, no, I think they've just disobeyed all laws of World Book Day costumes.
1: No, but I, I, I seriously think, honestly, the amount of little girls that have those costumes anyway, and their parents have just said, "Yeah, of course you can put that on," because that was that's probably a book, isn't it?
0: I, I, absolutely, that's what's happened. People have just either primarily don't care, but also just assumed, just thought that it was a book. But think of all those amazing, wonderful book characters that they could have gone and I
1: would have let them off if they'd been interviewed and a parent had said well this is because um Frozen was loosely inspired by the Snow Queen
0: you'd have let them off for that
1: well if they were able if they knew that it was loosely inspired by the Snow Queen by Hans Christian Andersen I would let them off
0: I think I'd have let them off if they'd have said, do you know what, it was 10 to 9, we'd totally forgot about it, and um, she went to her mate's birthday party last week dressed like that. So, to be honest with her, I just thought, you know, oh, I'll be fine. Just, yeah, go on, get off.
1: Oh, no. Um, I'm not surprised at all. No, me my, neither. Uh, my little two-year-old came back from nursery last week and just looked at me and said... Want to build a snowman? TV. <laughs> oh, here we go. And and then I just kind of didn't do anything. Next day, want to want to build a snowman? I was like, Have you been watching that? Yeah. I was like, My goodness, at nursery, you're two years old, so they are playing that at nursery for them. Um, well,
0: that's intense. I mean, it's uh, our boys have watched it, but under much supervision and decision making.
1: No, I think they're just probably playing the song or something. Um,
0: we, well, that's what we do. We just sort of play them the songs and sort yeah. of skip out the yes. scarier bits.
1: I think a great idea, though, to get kids to dress up in um, in their favourite book character costume. Well, who would you dress up as, Ian? Hmm. Now, it doesn't have to be your favourite, but think about the best kind of book costume that you could think up.
0: Um, I'm not sure. I don't know why, but the first thing that's come into my head is to dress up as a character from Train Spotting. Oh! It sounds it sounds both like quite a good, like Begbie, maybe. It sounds like, like it sounds doable.
1: Just have a toilet seat around your neck.
0: Exactly, that would have been round perfect. On your
1: face, that would have been good. Yeah. Um. Oh, I wonder. See, I I have trouble thinking about who I would
0: dress up as.
1: Yeah. I really well, have trouble
0: do you have trouble to the point where you're not actually going to share one <laughs> yeah,
1: well, yeah because I, mean, I I've just got Lord of the Rings in my head and I'm like no I'm not going to dress up as Gandalf that's ridiculous and I'm you're certainly gonna- not going to dress up as a hobbit although I'm the right kind of height an orc <laughs> yeah. oh dear I failed pretty badly there um, oh I might dress up as one of the monsters from where the wild things are sorry one of the wild things from where the wild things are
0: you could go as um, one of the wild things from, or um, now wildlings, isn't it, from Game of Thrones. This, we're getting nowhere with this. Shall I do the sponsor read and then we'll talk about something sensible?
1: Why is that not sensible? It's terrible, Ian.
0: Oh, it's me. I'm not I'm, I'm going to go at you. I brought it up.
1: <laughs> no. I think it's wonderful that kids are being encouraged to read. Shame about the elses. Let's move
0: on. Invest in yourself this year and start learning something new at lynda.com with a free 10-day trial. Lynda.com is used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. All of their courses are taught by experts, and new courses are added to the site every week. Whether you want to set new financial goals, find work life balance, invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, find a new job, or improve upon your current job skills in 2015, lynda.com has something for everyone. Sign up for your free 10-day trial today by visiting, and this is our very own special code, lynda.com slash WFYL, and that will get you unlimited access to every course on lynda.com, access to view tutorials on tablets and iPhone plus Android mobile devices, access to new courses added every week, and some of the courses and videos that we recommend or that have been recommended for us, because I haven't done all of these. We need a bit of transparency here. Getting Things Done, which is, is um, you know, by the, the the man himself, David Allen. He's on there telling you all about that. Business Writing Fundamentals, Grammar Fundamentals and Breaking Out of a rut. And um, uh, as I've said before, I've tried some Lynda.com courses myself um i've been editing that i'm sure no one's noticed but editing the last couple of uh last few actually episodes of the podcast with logic for example having previously used GarageBand, and um and i sort of dipped into uh, linda's archive to to kind of tackle a few problems i'd had with that um so yeah you should uh, definitely sign up it's fantastic you can stream all manner of videos on all manner of subjects. There's pretty much something for everyone. So for your free 10-day trial, again, go to lynda.com slash WFYL and, um, and and good luck. Learn something new in 2015. You've got nine and a half months left now.
1: <laughs> Super. I have um, a very, very quick little podcaster's question. And it's only because we've had something on our list to talk about for a little while. Um... And I thought I might as well just quickly ask actually our listeners about it, because um, we have the Right For Your Life hashtag on Twitter, WFYL. So there was a little piece in The Guardian by a novelist who noticed that there are no grandparents in modern fiction at all um, and that she thinks it's terrible. And I was thinking, oh, but I've read some great books with grandparents in. I just read The Corrections by Jonathan Franson, and the grandparents in that, there was, you know, I mean, there was a lot about their life, but their relationship to their grandchildren it was very, very cool. So I was wondering if um, other people had examples of grandparents in um, in fiction. Um, so that was it. Because I don't think we really need to discuss much more about that, do we? But it would be, um, I guess it's not very glamorous to write about grandparents.
0: Well, it's, I mean, to, to sort of shift the topic slightly, it's not very glamorous to... Um, And I'm not sure it's all that common. I'm not saying it's like rare or anything like that, but to write about old people in general.
1: Mm. Yes.
0: Um, And uh, although the characters in my book were in their sort of in their 50s, which isn't old. um, As I've said before, people were like really surprised that I chose to write about people that weren't like in their 20s and 30s.
1: Um, this, this little article did mention the fact that a million British children have no contact at all with their grandparents because of some kind of family rift, which is a lot. And I thought this was quite interesting that this novelist has, um, she just decided, I think, to write this article for the Guardian. She had a new book out. That book had grandparents in it and discussed grandparents. And it was a kind of a social issue that she thought was quite interesting. She could write about and also promote her book at the same time. So um so that was quite savvy wasn't it? We should all be writing books and then writing articles, social commentary and asking people questions, why is this not happening in our society and then have a big link to the book at the bottom.
0: I we've talked about this before in a you know kind of a more indirect way the fact that um it can be helpful if your the subject matter of your book is in vogue or if it's um like you say if it covers a specific social issue.
1: Yeah. So there we go. So that was just a little Little aside there about grandparents. Um and then Ian I was wondering why on earth have we not talked about the fact that um and get ready everybody for this, this big bombshell that ebooks are dead It's over
0: Dun dun dun
1: And apparently everybody's known about this since the since the start of the year. Why have we not talked about it?
0: Because it's a good question. Usually we are right on top of all the latest news.
1: (laughs) Well, when I saw it, I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe that already people are going back to physical books and that it was just a phase and a fad. I was really surprised. But then I realised that the article I was looking at from Time magazine was actually from January. Um, So we are way behind on this. but, um, But how do you feel about it?
0: Well, let's let's not assume that it's true. I mean, they, e-book sales plateaued, I think, last year. Mm. So it's it's no it's no huge surprise, and I guess they had to at some point. I think that people were surprised that they'd kind of plateaued s- so soon. And I say soon, I mean it's taken a huge chunk of the market. It's not like it's only like one or two percent of um, all book sales. It's quite a significant amount. I don't know exactly how much, but. Mm. um yeah, ebook sales had plateaued somewhat last year, and um, and in terms of e-reader sales, I mean, two things. First of all, we've probably reached in in terms of ebook sales plateau, and there's probably a, a plateauing of people getting into e-reading, and that's probably the problem. Is that we've kind of reached a point where all of the it's tech savvy or remotely tech savvy, you know, and I include. Um, I include my mother, for example, in that. Who isn't tech-savvy in a I'm-going-to-get-an-Apple-Watch type of way, but certainly in a kind of oh, I've heard about I've heard about Kindles. Now, what's a Kindle all about? And then I explain it and then she buys one and works out how to use it over the course of three years. Hmm. Um, I include her in that. So that type of person, we've probably got all. It's the low-hanging fruit of actual people doing e-reading. I think we've got all of those people. Um, and then the second thing, of course, is that, in terms of e-reader sales, it's not the sort of thing that you buy um, lots of. You like, I'm I'm still using one that I've had for four or five years, um, and I read on it every now and again. Although I do tend to use my iPad more, so I just um, I think there are some sort of mitigating factors here. I think but then no,
1: the thing is, these these figures are not showing the plateau; they're showing a slump, and they're showing a decline.
0: They're showing a decline in sales of e-readers. And there probably is a slump in those because I think that we've reached most of the people that are going to buy them. And once they've bought them, they're not going to buy a new one in a hurry.
1: Mm. Yeah, but um, don't you think, though, I mean, the, the whole po- point about e-books is, is that, and then they say that there is some evidence that it's, that's gone into reverse as well, actually sales of e-books. All those people that have e-readers are still going to be buying um books which explains a plateau and not a growth, because people are not buying the e-readers. So that is why it's it's cutting off the 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 uh, the source, and that's you could you know there is going to be an enormous slump in ebook sales soon when the last people that bought their e-readers have finished um, enjoying that novelty and go back to physical books.
0: Indeed, and the other link in this article, as in the the thing that kind of tied the story together was the fact that waterstones which is the well the, the, the most, certainly the most significant um, actual real life bookstore um sort of chain bookstore um left um it, in the UK it, in the UK it's um its sales have gone up yes and mm. and that was kind of the story of it as i said to you before we started talking in recording mode um my uh, my local Waterstones in Sheffield, and I think this is the case across the country, certainly the major stores, um, they've been refurbished. And I can tell you that what the refurbishment of um, Waterstones means, certainly in Sheffield, is that when you walk into the shop, it's on two levels. When you walk in, it's like the main area, instead of seeing books, as you might expect, you see 50% gift cards and mugs and notebooks and related executive tat it's not quite it's not kind of like uh it's not kind of you'll a market store kind of tat it's executive tat but ultimately it's it's kind of uh, a middle class version of tat and um and, and that is what's helped boost the sales now i'm not complaining if someone goes into waterstones now that wouldn't previously have done so to buy a nice keyring, um because you know you never know while they're there they might go do you know what i've never read a book in my life but as i'm here buying this keyring, i'm going to buy a copy of uh ulysses as well
1: yes stranger things have happened indeed but do you think that Waterstones have expanded their stationery selection? Because, I mean, these big bookshop chains have always had big uh, stationery departments. It sounds like they've just moved it so that that's actually the first thing you see, to lure people in rather than a department that's tucked away upstairs.
0: That's, that's possibly true. It's definitely the case that they moved it because it used to be upstairs next to the Costa Coffee. Yeah. And now it's right downstairs next to the till. But it's also much bigger yeah they've also made an area um at the back of the lower floor which is it seems like a more communal area it's got much more of a um kind of come in and sit down hey it doesn't matter if you talk loudly on your phone for a bit kind of vibe to it
1: Mm. um well i mean it's not it's not all going in that direction i saw a fantastic picture online this week I can't remember the name of the bookshop now, and that's terrible, but I will find it so that it's in the show notes, which will be at 5by5.tv slash WFYL slash 151. A great little idea to get people in the bookshop and engaged. Uh, They'd put their books, they'd wrap them in brown paper and made them look very nice. And then on the front of the brown paper, they'd scribbled down a few clues as to what the book might be. And you had to buy it without opening it, but just guessing what it was and whether you, or, or whether you sound, thought it sounded interesting. Isn't that a great idea?
0: It's a very good idea. I've seen that before. I think that image was going around Tumblr uh, um, quite a lot, being retweeted on... on not retweeted, being um, reblogged. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <coughs> oh, crikey. Uh, reblogged on uh, Tumblr a fair bit.
1: Yeah. And that's nice, isn't it? I mean, it's not all key rings and tat.
0: Some it's not.
1: Of, some of it is, you know, people coming up with uh, cool little ideas like that well i am quite happy i have to admit about the demise of the uh, of the e-reader but only because i never thought i was ever ever going to do it to, to get one um i'm not sure that it's you know it's going to make much difference for the publishing industry in terms of book sales well, I don't know. we'll see we will see
0: it continues to be an interesting topic
1: it does.
0: It's the, it's the ever-changing publishing industry.
1: Um, yes. So, did you have anything that you'd uh, spotted this week that was of interest?
0: Um, I, I do. Uh, there was a provocative article on um, a website called The Stranger, which I, I'm not familiar with, um, or at least I wasn't. And um, You
1: were a stranger to it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Very good. I was, but not anymore, uh, because um, a, a chap an author called Ryan Boudinot. Does that sound right?
1: It sounds great. I don't know whether it's right.
0: B-O-U-D-I-N-O-T. Boudinot. Ah, Ryan Boudinot. Yeah. He wrote an article called Things I Can Say About MFA Writing Programs Now That I No Longer Teach In One.
1: (laughs) Ooh. So he he was venting...
0: He was venting like a machine that a machine that throws out bottles of Coke, but is also bad at spelling.
1: Do all our listeners know what an MFI uh, MFA... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think more people will know what an MFA writing program is than what MFI is.
1: Is MFI a hardware store?
0: MFI is not a hardware store. MFI was um, where families in the 80s got their furniture from
1: furniture great um i know it's mfa i don't know why i said mfi i i think it's because um i have a big baby in my tummy
0: well there's also of course james bond who works at (laughs) mfi5
1: anyway i want to hear what he was venting about what did he say
0: well he covered a lot of ground i don't really know i don't really know where to start with it but he's basically um uh, an author who has previously taught on an MFA writing course, a, a postgraduate writing course, a thing we've talked about a lot, something that I've been on myself, although in the UK we just call them MAs, we don't need the extra F. And usually we're very much the ones who are happy to have the extra letters in words, but there we go. And um, he has, for some reason, decided to write about his experience and slag everyone off. Um, and he, he's come up with a, a list of statements, Maybe we should... Should we go through the statements? I mean, someone has already done this. Our We've referenced him a lot recently, but uh, Chuck Wendick is, uh, has has re- replied to this. He was very angry about it. Like, I, I wasn't angry, but I was slightly astounded by some of it. And he's gone through each piece one by one, or each statement one by one, and just... He agreed with a couple, but mostly said, that this guy is being crazy. Um, so maybe we should do the same. Go for it. Um, the first one is that he says... So this is the mistakes, the things that he can say, or oh, it's the, the mistakes that. Um, oh no, sorry, sorry. These are the things that he believes, um, and and based on uh, his time at the MFA program. So he starts off with writers are born with talent. He basically says, well, he he definitely says either you have a propensity for creative expression or you don't. Some people have more talent than others. He he goes on, you know, he says that he's uh, people are born with talent and. Um, and it's, uh, you know, you've either got it or you haven't. Mm. I think that's nonsense.
1: Ooh, really? I, I don't... I think I think you have to be... I mean, not everybody has the same amount of creativity as your talent, but, I mean, you can't say absolutely everybody is born with, with a talent for, for, for being a writer.
0: I didn't say that, but I don't think that you're... Well, I don't think... Well, OK, I don't think anyone's born with anything. I don't think anyone, anything, any, you have your genes. Yeah. So if, if your, if your parents and maybe their parents beyond them have the kind of physical and, um, I don't know what the physical would be, but the kind of the, the, the genetic makeup which allows you to have traits which, which bend towards, um, you know, creativity and in this case, writing, then, that's kind of um, fine, but that uh, you don't necessarily need those. I mean, think of all the think of our generation, or, or maybe slightly the generation before, whose parents had to um, uh, who are kind of children of the war and have you know you know you wouldn't say someone had a propensity, were born with talent for being a web developer, for example. Well, why not? Well, what you would say, you'd say what I've just said before—that they were born with the potentially the genetic traits and the ge- genetic makeup that led them to have um, uh, certain behaviours that led them to be a web developer. You don't say they were born with talent. I mean, talent is such a weird w- word to use in this context. I think.
1: I I think he's just used that to to get your attention. I mean, when he explains it, it's exactly the same thing as you've said. <laughs> you know that people people have, you know. Not, ev- not all writers are born equal is what he said some people um work their bottoms off and and get to the same place where they've write- written something great and some writers it's just comes kind of really really easy because that's just the way their brain works um and some people will never be able to sit down and do it because they either they can't be bothered they don't want to or they just they can't think that way
0: i don't i i think that it, it can be it can definitely be more difficult for others uh, for some people than others but i i Think that it, it is practice. I think that's how you get better. How you you can people can learn to write yes. and learn to write well.
1: I still don't think everybody can in the world. So I think that I, I I'm not I'm not that offended by his that first
0: one. Well, maybe this? you maybe you need the context of him being a jerk later on in order to. <laughs> make... Well,
1: that's fine, but we've got to take this on face value. I haven't read this yet. Next one, what did he say next?
0: Well, this one's an interesting one for you, Donsky beat. Righty ho. If you didn't decide to take writing seriously by the time you were a teenager, you're probably not going to make it. Hmm. There are, yeah, it says that there are notable exceptions to this rule. Murakami and Donna Sorensen.
1: <laughs> How do you know I didn't take my writing seriously when I was a teenager?
0: I think well, he, I think he's I'm not saying that you didn't, uh, <laughs> but I I I think he means there are so many people who who like get into writing and even reading at a later date. I've seen them. I'm not talking about necessarily even like people who are like published or like really sort of or even remotely well known. Like I've seen people come to Spoken Word Nights who have started taking up writing like the year before and they're in their 40s or 50s and they just blow away a crowd. Like it's nonsense to suggest that you have to like be into books when you're a kid in order to be good at something. I refer you back to the web developers. All of the web developers that are in their thirties and forties. They might have been fiddling with the odd computer, but they weren't doing the, you know, the specific job.
1: Well, I mean, he's talking about people that really seriously make it, and he's also saying that you're probably not going to um, be able to do that if you haven't, you know, always had this this passion for it. I don't like him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't like him. I, I'm st- I'm still not massively there. I think. You know, all the things we do to encourage parents to, to read and, and develop this love of stories with their kids really early. I mean, that's for a reason, you know. You, sh- you guys, all the listeners, you should listen to my husband. I mean, seriously, he, his mum apparently never read to him as a kid. And um, <laughs> I, it's, it's very interesting the way his mind works. He is not somebody who thinks, you um, know, how can I put it like this? His imagination is is pretty it's not limited, I wouldn't say that but it's not something he, he tests on a regular basis, he prefers things to be as they are and you know what, his mum was watching Moomins with my two year old and a little girl who was a witch and it was walking on water and while she was doing this my mother-in-law was saying to my two year old people can't do that, no that's silly, people can't really do that in real life <laughs> That's what she was saying to her and i said don't worry you don't need to tell her that let's just let her imagine that things like that might be able to happen right now all right <laughs> anyway
0: <laughs> next and the next one if you complain about not having time to write please do us both a favor and drop out
1: <laughs> well he's talking about people that are supposedly uh devoting themselves to an mfa program am i right
0: Yeah, he's talking about students who are notoriously, like, lazy.
1: Again, I'm not... That's not that uh, controversial, I don't find.
0: Well, he says their complaints are an insult to the writers who managed to produce great work under far more difficult conditions than the 21st century MFA student. Mm. I mean, who's he on about? Siegfried Sassoon? It's like, what's he doing comparing, like, students who are there doing, you know, doing their best, comparing them to... Like the great writers who there's lived there, through the Great the Depression or something. These are
1: students that are doing their best. These are students that are saying, "I haven't got time to write." That's what he said. Oh, this is interesting. Ian. I'm still, I'm still completely not, not, uh, not buying this. Next one.
0: You wait until we get to the bit about child abuse.
1: Oh blimey! Okay.
0: If you aren't a serious reader, don't expect anyone to read what you write.
1: Hmm. I mean, a lot of a lot of big writers have said that in their time.
0: Yeah, I mean again that's kind of sounds all right that kind of you kind of think yeah you know that's true you do need to be into your books and reading you know you would expect that if you want to you know be any any good at writing or to at least have some context but kind of what he means if you read on is that people need to have been reading like serious books like lots of books that I haven't in fact the ones he references I own one of them and I haven't read any of them so he references um Infinite Jest, 2666, and Gravity's Rainbow, excuse mm. me. And, um, and, you know, he complains about students who claim to enjoy all sorts of books, and they were the ones invariably with the most limited taste.
1: Well, I, like the, I like the example he says where um, one of his students, after reading The Great Gatsby, said um, that she preferred books that don't make me work so hard to understand the words. <laughs> That's cool.
0: I, I, yeah, I, I get what he's get, getting. I see what he's getting at, but I also prefer those books that don't make me work hard to understand the words.
1: Mm.
0: I do. I but think. But would that's you have a, liked
1: to have done an MFA program where you were just presented with books that didn't make you work hard to understand the words?
0: No, but this quote is, you know, there's lots of context missing in this quote. Of course, it makes her sound ridiculous, especially as the, you know, The Great Gatsby isn't a particularly complicated book, but. Again, it's there's a there's a snobbishness to all of this, all of the things we've talked about. They may not sound controversial, but there is a snobbishness about. That's quite hard to say, especially <laughs> with the cold. A snobbishness, snobbishness about them that is, you know, gonna. Be,
1: but of course, I mean, this is a university program. This is somebody who wants to come out with a piece of paper and say, "I have been seriously challenged academically in this pursuit," and the, you know, the, reading challenging books surely is part of that i'm um, again i am totally
0: but, but, with him <laughs> well it, she the, but this this student we don't we don't have any context but the student doesn't say and if you take the great gatsby out of it that's the book that he's referring to but if you take that out of it i'm 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 with her i i do i have read some complicated books i have done a, the ma and and i've been made to write have uh, been made to read complicated books mm. or with complicated words but i would also the bit she's quoted I prefer books that don't make me work so hard to understand the words. I do prefer that. I I don't feel it's necessary, because almost ninety percent of the time, those words that are, are hard to understand are usually put in there by the author to show off mm. and to go look at me, aren't I? Look at me in my writing. Look at all the words I know.
1: I know, usually, but I mean, The Great Gatsby is not exactly. I mean you know it, it's, I absolutely love The Great Gatsby so I might be slightly biased I love but, The Great Gatsby but it's not Ulysses it's not that difficult to understand so I said
0: let's like... t- I said let's take the Gatsby out of it
1: <laughs> we can't take the Gatsby out of it come on next one
0: and when has anyone ever called it the Gatsby what am I talking about <laughs> um,
1: what, what did he say next
0: well we can't quite use the full word but he says no one cares about your problems if you're a crappy writer that's true
1: Good next i 'm um, we 're still waiting then to get to the ones where we 're outraged
0: well oh no sorry that that was the one that was the one I was referring to a second ago, so no one cares about your problems if you 're a crappy writer um, so he says he worked with a number of students who wrote memoirs, and um, for the most part, those m f a students are narcissists using the genre as therapy. <laughs> They want someone to feel sorry for them, and they believe that the supposed candour of their reflective essay excuses its technical faults. This is the sentence. He says, so this is someone who's, right, this is someone who's just been teaching students who, according to him, are mostly, don't want to be there and don't want to read anything difficult and just want to talk about themselves. And he's, you know, these are real people that this Real these are real people that this real author is now writing about in a very public way, and as a fellow podcast host who generally wants to, whilst displaying some real world views of the publishing and writing worlds, um, we generally want to be supportive and 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 encourage people to write and to try new things and all that kind of thing. He has decided to write this, basically slamming the vast majority of all his ex-students. And then he includes a line like this, Just because you were abused as a child does not make your inability to stick with the same verb tense for more than two sentences any more bearable. In fact, having to slog through 500 pages of your error-riddled student memoir makes me wish you had suffered more.
1: Yeah. That's a ridiculous thing to say. It's ridiculous.
0: Does it put my anger at the previous um, comments in context?
1: Um, no, because I still, I, I, the, the previous comments I had absolutely no issue with and I would tend to agree with them. But this, I mean, you know, he's an idiot, obviously. He's out there with a massive chip on his shoulder and wants to make some waves and get noticed. Maybe he's got a book coming out himself or wants to have a, a book or something like that. But anyway, whatever, That is that's that's ridiculous and we can absolutely say that. Um, so, yeah, fair enough. Next. Uh,
0: you don't need my help to get published. And then he goes in. Uh, mm, up, that's goes true on. as well.
1: It's kind of the same kind of thing. You know, I mean, people people are able to, to go it alone. They don't need to do the MFA programme.
0: That's not what he's saying. Um, I agree with what you've just said, but he just said... Um, uh, when he did his his MFA, I understand that I understood that if I wanted any of the work I was doing to be published, I better listen to my faculty advisors. MA programs of that era were useful from a professional development standpoint. So I, I very much that was the case for me. Incredibly useful. I learned most of what I know about publishing, um, or at least I was prepared for what I was to go on and kind of experience by my time on my MA. It was one of the most valuable things I got from it, being able to speak to people like him, and and find out about the industry and what I should be. Um, expecting how to submit to an agent, all these kinds of useful things. And he's saying, well, he goes on to say, in today's Kindle ebook self-publishing environment, with, the New York publish- with New York publishing starting into cultural irrelevance, I find questions about working with agents and editors increasingly old-fashioned. Anyone who claims to have useful information about the publishing industry is lying to you because nobody knows what the hell is happening. My advice for writers is to reject the old models and take over the production of their own and each other's work as much as possible. I mean, that's just crazy that's just like and he says that without any kind of um context or or any kind of um uh, help he's basically i mean what's his problem he's just sort of saying yeah the the traditional publishing industry is on its ass no point in giving you any advice or suggestions about it go and learn how to self-publish you go oh no i I don't want to i've heard that actually still majority of books aren't published that way he goes oh it doesn't matter reject the old models (laughs) do it yourself and don't ask me for any help or any further help than i've already given you
1: yeah again it just sounds like sensationalization for the sake of it i mean ultimately what he's saying is is that you know there are so many different ways now to get published that probably is quite old-fashioned to just ask um which editor you know which should this particular thing be sent to without actually thinking is that the best way to go down that you know we, we've talked about it so much as well you know i mean we it, it's time to start thinking about other options for lots of different pieces of work um so he said it in a in, in a in a way that gets everybody's feathers up but i'm i'm not that worried about that one
0: well i uh I, I sort of agree with his final two points, so maybe as you've agreed with everything else he's said.
1: <laughs> Apart from that outrageous statement in the middle. Um, yeah, well, I mean, he's made, he's made a splash. He's come out. Let's see how it works for him, whether he's going to have a, a big novel published soon because everybody read this and got annoyed about it.
0: Should we have a listener's question?
1: <gasps> listener's question. Absolutely. Um, and it's quite a brief one this week. Um, I'm going to enjoy it because it was for me. Um, which was very nice.
0: <laughs> I will see you all next week. You can Stop find me it. Und-
1: Stop it. You can listen to this too, honestly. Um, so this was a, a listener's question from, I'm just going to read um, listeners Twitter handle, because that's the only thing I took across at Carissa 74. Hello, regular listener. Lovely to have a question from you. Thank you very much. How many poems did I personally write for my first book? And did I write some specifically for it? Um, The answer is uh, 48 and yes. See you all next week. (laughs) No. Um, Yes, it was about 48. I think I wrote around about 53 or 54 for it, but then I cut some of them out. Um, And um, I did write a lot of those poems specifically for the collection. I'd say the first half were written just more freely, but then I started to focus on, on putting together a collection and tried to pull them all together more with you know, themes and things like that. And actually, I was very, very lucky with my first collection that I was approached by a publisher before I had the manuscript ready even to send out. Um, And that was obviously amazing, but it meant that I, towards the end, was very seriously trying to finish off some poems that I felt the collection really, really needed to finish it. Um, And who knows, if I hadn't been approached by the publisher, I probably would have had another year and, and the collection might have looked slightly different Towards the end, because I would have had more time to work on it, but um, you know, you don't pass up that kind of opportunity,
0: do you? Absolutely not.
1: So, um, thanks for that question, and that was that. Well, we've uh, we've we've whistled through this week.
0: C- could I ask you one more question about that?
1: Yes, of course, you may.
0: Before we finish, um, I, I always wonder whether poets have a, a kind of an overall theme or. Um, uh, or narrative like overall narrative in mind um, at the start or whether that forms as you go so uh, uh, lots of I mean I can think of lots of um, collections where there is a very very clear theme or topic I think of Sharon Old's uh, Stag's Leap which was very very much centred around um, her the break of a relationship or her husband's affair basically Um and also, Helen Farish, who taught on my MA. I can't remember the name of the book, actually, but that was a lot to do with, um, 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 I think it was a mother's illness, um, I think. And so, do you have that kind of thing in mind before you start? Do you have the overall idea of what, you know, 50-odd poems are going to be like when they're tied together? Or do you just get, you know, does that come as you work?
1: Um, well... I guess I'd have to answer for myself as opposed to, to all poets but with this one it started out very organically as just random poems but I could very quickly see that there was a theme and that's how the theme developed um, based on what I was you know enthused about at that time but I would say that with the a, a second collection I think definitely I would be approaching it with with a kind of theme in mind before I went into it and I can see that I think that's, that's probably something that's quite common for poets um, because you've already worked to, to put one collection together. You know what it's like and that you know in the end it's not just going to be um, you know, a big sack of random poems jumbled up together. It is going to be a coherent book with, that takes the reader on some sort of journey.
0: Okay. Well answered.
1: Oh, well, well qu- asked. Quasked. Quasked. Well, asked. Indeed. Well, thank you very much for this week, Ian. Um, I will see you next week. Anybody can get in contact with me on Twitter, at The Flying Poet.
0: And you can get in touch with me um, on Twitter, at Ian Broome, I-A-I-N, B-R-O-O-M-E. And um, check out the website, com And the newsletter, Making, a, I've made a, a giant prominent banner on the front of my website, because I've read that that's how people sign up. That's how people see it. You need to shove it in their faces.
1: Mm -hmm. You absolutely do. So uh, great. Yeah. Well,
0: good luck with that. I hope you get some (laughs) sign-ups. Thanks, Don. (laughs) See you next week. Bye-bye.